And if you will, you can open up your Bible to Romans, the 12th chapter. We were there last week. We started maybe for a week or two a subject called Not Conformed, but Transformed. And we uh, are we're reading these verses. They are uh, tremendous verses uh, in the Bible to help believers. And um, we're going to pick back up where we did last week. I'm going to review just a little bit because maybe some of you weren't here and it would help to hear it again. Uh, but Romans 12.1, it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. In other words, there is a way that is acceptable to God. Some things are acceptable and some things are not. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Malachi uh, starts off where um, these offerings had been being giving, been given to God, and uh, God said, what are you doing by giving this to me? See, God cares how things are presented to him. And uh, he's worthy of the best. And uh, he said this to him in response. He said, take the offering you're giving to me. Go take it and give it to your governor. And see what he would say about it. It'd be like this. I mean, not... not Hopefully nobody's ever done this before, but you've got like a, a, you know, dishes at your house and, and, you know, they're chipped and everything and you're like, I'm going to get some new ones. Hey, I know what I'll do with the old ones, the broken ones, the ones I don't want, I'll give them to the church. That was that kind of mentality. So he said, take and give that to your governor. What if you had a broken set of dishes and you're like... I don't want these anymore. Maybe I should send them to the president, to the mayor. In other words, isn't God better than the governor? Isn't he more worthy than the mayor? And so he was basically saying, there is a way to give to God. And, and when we are told here, don't be uh, conformed, but you know, be transformed and present your body a living sacrifice that's holy, but not only holy, but acceptable in a way that's acceptable to God. So there are some things that are acceptable. And I think there are certain characteristics in us as humans that think like God does in some ways. Are you with me? Even in small areas, you ever been to a restaurant, you go and, you know, you order, a, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, fish. You know, you want it broiled, you want it a certain way, and cooked, and all of a sudden you get it, and it's not cooked in the middle. It's kind of sushi-ish. You, you know what I'm talking about? Now, if you like sushi, this won't make sense to you. You're like, perfect. But the fish is just not cooked through. We think that's not acceptable. No, nobody thinks like that. We think that that's not acceptable. We want something acceptable. We want it cooked all the way through, right? Well, God wants us cooked all the way through, right? In the Old Testament, didn't it say Ephraim was once turned? I mean, he hadn't been flipped over, burned on both, cooked on both sides. You with me? 
God wants us cooked all the way through. He wants our whole being affected. He wants our life changed. Not only spiritually, but everything to be dominated by that. So he said, Don't, here's what we need to do to present ourselves to God, a living sacrifice, holy, and one that is acceptable. You know, it wouldn't hurt us to say, God, now don't do it right now, but, you know, maybe under your breath, or say, God, is my life and the way I'm presenting it to you and what I'm doing with my life and my attitudes, is this acceptable to you? Is this acceptable to you? I mean, if I'm presenting or told to present, how many cooks, maybe I'm wrong, but I would think most cooks would not just send something out that's unacceptable. I'm looking at some. If you say yes, I'm like, I'll look over here. No, um, but you know what I mean? You're not purposely, because you know if it's not acceptable, you're probably going to get it back or you're going to affect your customers. So you want to do it the best way. And I don't know that anybody purposely wants to have a sacrifice to God that's not honorable. But how many of you know this? I'm a, I'm a medium rare person. Amen. And I don't put ketchup on my steak. And I think, amen, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. Some people are lost here today, I can tell. Others are, you know, it should go against your credit score. I mean, seriously, this should affect a lot of areas of your life. But just because I like medium rare doesn't mean everybody likes medium rare. And so I'm cooking it up medium rare and giving everybody medium rare. And people are like, no to medium rare. The ones who like it, cool. But if I'm presenting my life to God, a living sacrifice, I need to not just think what I like, but I need to go, what do you like? What do you want? If I'm to, if I'm to do this, and I'm going to offer up my life to Him in an acceptable way, it's not acceptable to me, because there might be things that are acceptable to me that are not acceptable to Him. Or there might be things that I think are so important. Ugh. And he's like, well, that's not that important. Are you with me? And so I can't just be serving it up the way I think is best. Because if you did that, you, could you imagine how many opinions we'd have in here? And only the opinions that lined up with me would be right. Okay, that was not true. But you know what I mean? Only the opinion that not lines up with me, the only opinion that counts that lines up with me is the area where I have lined up with God. You with me? And so sometimes we might have some different opinions and ideas and, you know, and, and we could come across as hard and harsh and real religious, and that's not how God is. You with me? Uh and so I may have some of that, or somebody might have some of that and may need to go, man, how do I do this, Lord? You know, people have mechanisms to protect themselves. Some people have been hurt, are really good people, but you try to get up in their business and they're sharp and mean and harsh, 
All they're doing is trying to keep you at a distance. But some people can have religious things like that. And they know I've got to maintain the certain, they feel like I've got to maintain this certain kind of life. So when they see anybody not maintaining that life, they might be harsh to them. And really, the person might be a good person, but they're not just being harsh to them. They might be, it might be a mechanism to protect themselves, and they may not even realize it. Amen. You know what I mean? In other words, instead of me being an influence to the world, I'm trying to stop them from doing stuff because I don't want them to evade my life and mess me up. And everybody should live like this. So, I'll get back and look at this verse. Holy and acceptable. So notice he didn't just say acceptable and not just holy. They were interconnected. A holy and an acceptable sacrifice to God. And what are the sacrifice we're to give him? It's our whole life. And it's not just our life by action. It's the motives that drive our life. It's, it's the way we think. It's how we come across. Amen? Why is God so big about this? There, there's a lot of reasons. There are a bunch of reasons why God is real big about this. And maybe we'll look at some of them today as we move on. Verse 2 says this. Oh, well, man is well finished. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It is a ra- one translation says your rational service. In other words, it's very rational it's, or very right for a believer to do this. It's unreasonable. You ever heard people say, you're being unreasonable right now. They're arguing against something. You're just unreasonable. He said, you know, it's reasonable. It's a reasonable sacrifice. In other words, if you really looked at it, evaluated it, examined the whole thing, really from a sober standpoint, it's the right thing to do. I mean, if we really knew we someday were going to be with the Lord and really stand before Him, and all of the stuff was going to be laid out, and, and we re, maybe will then, we should now, but realize how much our individual lives have an influence on me, my family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, some of your intimate Facebook friends. You know, the ones you don't know, and you're like, okay, I'll be your friend you know, or whatever, you know, your 10,000 Instagram followers or however many you have. And, you know, our attitude comes across, things come across, you know, and uh, we need to realize that uh, we have an influence, positive or negative. And none of us, when we get to the other side, are going to go, I wish I would have done less about that. You know what I mean? But, but we will have been grateful if we did live a life that was a holy and an acceptable sacrifice to God. 
So notice the word sacrifice. I don't know, maybe they should have... You know how the Amplified Bible, you ever read the Amplified Bible? Anybody ever read that? It's a lot louder. There's more words. Maybe in the Amplified after it says, you know, how they always add like the Greek meaning sometimes in modern language or whatever, and it'll expand on a word. Maybe the Amplified should add holy, you know, a sacrifice, and right after, in parentheses, put the word ouch. Ouch. Because doesn't a sacrifice, you know, it sounds like there's some, some effort to that, and there might be some ouch to do it in a world where nobody wants ouch. People want out, you know, stuff. And they don't realize, but like, like I used to say this for years, you can choose your pain. You know, you can hurt a little and make a sacrifice and it will pay off or be loose about things and then you'll ouch later. Amen. Just keep reading. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, not the removing of your mind. There's an important role there with your mind. You can't just ignore it. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, you can start knowing God's will. How many realize this? Uh, there is a lot of talk, you know, about knowing God's will and the will of God. And I've had people say, I pray about the will of God. The main way you're going to know the will of God is when you know His written word. That, that's it. That is the primary way you're going to know. Because, you know, some days you're going to feel good and go, man, the Lord loves me. And some days you may not be all, whoo, whoo, whoo. And then you're, if you don't know how he is and what he said, you might go, are you mad at me, God? And he's not. But we're basing it more on feelings than on truth through his inspired written word. And so, you ready to go forward from last week? Well, I'm not ready yet. Verse 1, I beseech you, Therefore, brethren, we made mention of this when he wrote this, because some things that you say can seem so small, and you can go, I already know that. But if people really knew some of these things, they would approach different people different. I saw a street preacher out preaching to certain people that lived in a certain lifestyle that's contrary to the Bible. And he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He he quoted this verse, and I thought, that's not a good verse to quote to them. Because that's not what they need. They need eternal life. They need to become a child of God. We don't need to modify their lifestyle like that's what they need. No, the believer reprograms their mind. The world needs salvation. They need new life. And so when he said, I beg you therefore, or earnestly beseech you therefore, brethren, we read last week how that the couple chapters before, how this really is introduced. He said, I was, 
made known or made manifest. And he said, and I was found by. So when he was talking here about these brethren, he was talking about people who had found the Lord or found by him, who God had been made manifest to them, whom God had changed in their spirits. These people had received eternal life. This was not written to the world. This was written to people who already had really had a genuine experience, what we would call new life. They had received eternal life. They're now a child of God. These instructions are not what you go tell your neighbor who's lost. Your problem is you're all jacked up in your thinking. Well, it might be true. But Mary Poppins may be one of the quotes you need, you know, to keep written in your Bible, you know, famous Christian quotes, a spoonful of medicine, you know, you know, goes down with sugar, right? With something sweet. Isn't that true? It, it doesn't just always go down, you know, just because of truth. Truth goes down with love really well and with the right motive. And she realized that people needed something sweet with the medicine. And sometimes, you know, the way we're going to open up people uh, are through various avenues. One of them is going to be love. It's always good after somebody does wrong and you had told them and gave them instruction it's always good after they mess up is to say, I told you so. It's always really good. Write that down. I told, that's sarcasm. Don't do that. Be merciful, right? So we need to realize somebody's like writing that down. Tell them, no, you get what I'm saying? Love is a good way to get the truth and to help people. But he said, brethren. So he was writing to people who didn't just sign up for religion, who were committed to a church or to a creed. He was talking about people who knew God, who had received God. And then he said, I say this, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, we went into detail more about that last week. But just to touch on it, when he said, by the mercy of God... He was saying, and like I said, we went into greater detail last week, but we looked at the wording of this. It was something literally way down. In, in the Greek, it means these bowels, just way down. Their deep feeling and deep heart and spiritual uh, compassion, love, mercy. He was saying it by something that was driving him. What we didn't say last week is this. The same word mercy here by God's mercy and how he was pleading with them is the same word compassion. As a matter of fact, uh, the literal Greek from Young's quotes this and doesn't use by the mercies of God. It said by the compassions of God. So it was something way deep inside of him. He was yearning for these brethren to take these steps for their life. Now understand this. If there is no instruction and no reason here to not be conformed but be transformed, he's telling us 
there's an opportunity to end up like the world if we don't take the right steps. If we neglect this. The Bible said don't neglect this great salvation which we have received. And so here he's giving instructions about how not to neglect this, but to get it to come forth and really live in this. And he said, by the compassion of the Lord. The writer here knew something about God's compassion driving him. The early church knew a lot about the compassion of the Lord. If you read about the ministry of Jesus, the word compassion and mercy are used interchangeably, but often it said when Jesus would see the multitude, it said he would be moved with compassion. Beyond his emotions, beyond his feelings, there was an inward deep love from God that was there that drove him. As a matter of fact, often people would cry out for compassion or mercy for healing, and then the Lord would be moved with compassion. This was not just some superficial statement Hey guys, think about presenting your body and renewing your mind to be transformed. It was out of this deep place of compassion, the same thing that moved Jesus to heal the sick and cause profound influence to come upon people. He said, I'm speaking from the same place. This is huge. And so... He, he makes the statement, and we're going to pick up here where we left off last week, where he is telling people, listen, and I know this, and we all really know this, nothing uh, goes without with God, meaning he doesn't just say stuff and somewhere, uh, you know, he just says something and gives such emphasis to it that there's no uh, ramifications, there's no accountability. You know, we, we see parables in the Bible where one person got a, a certain talent, you know, an ability, and another person got more abilities, and then another person got even more. He had five abilities. And two of them did something with the abilities they got, and one of them did nothing with the ability he got. He just buried it. And the Lord said, when I come back, they're going to give an account for what they did or did not do with the ability I gave them. And, and so some people think, well, I don't have the abilities that person has, and I don't have the ability that one does, or I have more abilities or whatever the amount. It doesn't matter what you've got. It matters what you do with what you've got. Now, if he thinks abilities are important and that there will be a reckoning for it, don't you think his truth is important? And that if he said, do these things, do you think someday there will be no, you know, he'll just go, oh, yeah, that's cool, don't worry about it. Those talents and those abilities, or that thing I said there in Romans. No, it's not to make us afraid, but it is to make us think soberly about it. Are you with me? That is important. We need to think soberly about these things. If we don't think soberly, we'll get loose in our life and our lifestyle. 
And so we need to think clearly and, and uh, realize that God has a real plan. And uh, we have a part to play in it. And we may say, well, I'm getting away with it just fine right now. Are we? Are the people I'm supposed to be influencing being influenced? Are you with me? Some people may live and die and not know that they had the ability to shake a city, a business place, a community, make an impact, you know, and inroads all over the city. And I'm not talking about a minister. Amen. Some people say, well, what's the big thing I'm supposed to do? This small thing. This seemingly small thing. So notice this. I'm going to read it again because there's something here I think that is uh, very interesting. We're convinced by what we saw last week and a little bit this week that this was written to people who genuinely know the Lord. Genuinely know the Lord. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to make this statement. I beseech you. Literally, we would say it like this. I urge you, therefore, brethren, you other saved ones, children of God, those who've come to know the Lord by the mercy of God or by this driving force of love from God that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here is what this verse is saying, among many things. He's basically saying, Hey, you believers, you who genuinely know the Lord, that's who he's talking to. He's saying this. I recognize that, uh, and you're going to know this when I say it, that uh, people can examine our lives and they will see that all of us can be living totally different one from another. One Christian could really be looking like the Lord and one not so much and everywhere in between. what he's saying he's saying Christians can just cover the gamut all the way from conform to looking like the world acting like the world stealing cheating to being a person of their word and person who will obey and reflect the Lord and everywhere in between that's what he's saying he said don't be conformed to this world so there's a real thing that people could be conformed. How many people have, you know, been on a job and there's maybe been multiple Christians there. And I've seen this when I lived in the world and somebody would say, he said he's a Christian, he said he's a Christian. People say, well, he doesn't look like him. They don't look like they've got the same thing. And that's basically what Paul is saying here 
is, uh, you know, if you believe that he's the author of this, I mean, God ultimately is, that, that there is, if we're not careful, an opportunity to end up totally looking like the world. Totally ending up looking like the world. Or totally be transformed where we start reflecting more of the Lord through our lives. To me, that's an interesting thing. In 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, uh, Paul, who wrote this by the inspiration of God, said it to them. He said, he said brethren, you have strife. You do all these different things. And he said, you are walking just like a mere, mere human being. Implying you're not a mere human being. If you're saved, you're not just a mere man or a mere woman. And uh, he, what he was trying to do was to help them to grow. And wh why would we want to grow? Because what it does is when we grow, it allows our nature to come forth. The new life we have. There is something in a believer you know, some people have had an experience when they got saved and they're like, man, it was incredible. Or it started working in me when I gave my life to the Lord. That is still there. But he said that needs to start dominating your life. And the only way it will dominate your life is if you begin to renew your mind. Begin to accept certain things. Start changing things. But here's the thing. We don't just grow on our own. We do it through our relationship with God and through things He has ordained, like the church. And what we do is we, we talk to God about things too. Hey God, I'm supposed to be presenting myself to you. Help me to do this. And He will. Now, he'll give you steps to take, but then we have to take them, and he'll work with us. Notice this in Romans, the 8th chapter. We're going to read a couple of interesting verses here. I'm sorry, John 8. John 8. Now, we know by looking at those verses, even a person with new life can reflect the world. Can totally reflect in their actions, lost humanity. Or they can reflect the life that they received in the Lord. And it's interesting because anybody can get more and more, no matter where they're at. I'm talking, say, people reflecting more. But notice this in John 8, 44. Jesus speaking here. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Who was he talking to? These religious people. People who win every Sabbath. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, or out of his, who he really is. For he is a liar, 
Not only, not, not he lies, he is a liar. And the father of it, or the originator of lies. Isn't it interesting, we've looked at verses that talk about the, the believer is supposed to start having things come forth in their life. And he said, the people who don't have life, they'll reflect something too. But here is something that's interesting. Have you ever looked and seen somebody who didn't know the Lord that seemed to act better than some Christians? I mean, you know, it's like the wires are crossed. This guy acts real moral or this girl acts real moral. And here is this Christian that doesn't. But realize this, both of the places we looked at, the core is a nature issue. It's a nature issue. A spiritual nature issue. He said, you're of your father. When a person gives their life to the Lord, they're born again. Remember the verse Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 13 and 14. He said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I cut things out of it. But remember he said that? You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, then it, it doesn't do its job. He said the only thing it's good for is to be thrown out. In other words, it, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Why is it that some lost people... Uh, seem to live better than some saved people. Hmm. Is it because they have a new nature? Well, the answer is no. But they've been salted. Assaulted. Salted. They've been lighted. See, you can go to some countries. I remember the first time I was in, a, in this one Asian country. And I, and I learned something there. I learned a number of things. Like you'd see an accident. And people would just be left there. And this one missionary I knew said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we sometimes just, we have, they have an SUV. They said, we'll come to an accident site and they'll just leave the person. And they said, we've just loaded some in the back of our SUV and gone to the hospital and taken them there because people just don't care about life. I was like, whoa. He said, oh yeah. He said, this culture here is so amazing. He said, it's just prominent everywhere because there's no Lord Jesus there, so to speak, as prominent thing. So people just lie. He said, they'll just lie to your face. Just lie to you. Well, we know if we read the Bible, that's a characteristic of the enemy. He said, yeah, it's amazing. You could just sit here with people and they'll just lie. He said, he said, it's just the influence. And he said, it's everywhere. And he said, it even creeps in the church after people get saved. They need to be transformed. But here's the thing. We have had such a Christian influence on our country. Now we're seeing stuff, some stuff change in a not a good way. But, you know... 40 years ago, 30 years ago, there were a lot of things that are a lot different than they are now. I remember growing up in Southern California, you could leave your door open all night long. 
I remember the reason we got a screen door is mosquitoes started coming in. And you, you remember the, here you have security screen doors. It's like, there, you know the ones you close and they bend and are all weak aluminum ones? That's what we had. And we weren't thinking, and, and I remember sometimes, you know, going to bed and going lock that. Like you can't just pull the thing open. You didn't think about it. I remember when a mass killing happened, uh, we started closing the door at night. What am I saying? There had been so much salt and so much light from Christians, we could trust one another. And even the lost people, it influenced them. And they knew, well, you don't cuss, you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't do this stuff. Not that they were saved, they had been salted. Salt is a preservative to keep from rotting. And what happened in the United States and has happened in other places is there has been a preserving. So when we see some people uh, still resonating certain values, it's because they have been ingrained in our society. You can see it in things like this. Well, we know there's trouble in the Middle East. Everybody okay? There's trouble in the Middle East, you know. We'll just drop a couple bombs and go, okay, now straighten up. That's not how they think. They think we'll just keep fighting you and fighting you and fighting you and fighting you and fighting you. We think, oh, just do a couple things and we all forgive and hug and everything. No, they'll hate your guts forever. Why is it that all of a sudden we do something we're like, okay, it's all good, you know, everybody's good, right? It's because we have an influence in society to forgive, forgive, forgive. Because Christian values have been pushed. It's like salting the earth. That's why we see certain people act certain ways. But it doesn't change their nature. And so here, we realize from these verses that we can see some people who live a certain way because uh, they're, they've been preserved. But then we can see some Christians are preserved by salt if you live in a, or work in a company that has people who aren't saved and you think, everybody's lost, I need to go work somewhere else, no, don't leave. You, you can salt them. And there really are only a couple of ways that I know from Scripture to really change the world. We're going to look at this real quick and we're going to close. Notice this back over here. In Romans 12, don't be conformed, and we talked about conforming last week, but notice the other part here is, but be transformed. Be transformed. Neither one of these are automatic, but both we've got instructions about. Notice verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now you understand, he, if you don't know the Lord and have never received Him, 
I, I believe you can look through Scripture, search the Scriptures to find things and find answers, but ultimately you have to come to receive the Lord to get new life. Then you start working to renew your mind. You do things on purpose. There are certain things you do on purpose. But a person's life who's been really being transformed will start to salt the earth. Are you, are you with me? will start having a salt effect. I mean, and it can be in so many ways. Just with the music group, not that, that everybody's perfect or whatever, but they can know, hey, we're going to pray, we're going to spend some time with the Lord, we're going to work to get the songs a certain way so they resonate truth, and we're going to lead, and God will work, and then it will have a salting effect. It will have a renewing effect. It will do certain things for the believer. And the believer needs these things. We need to be seasoned. We need to be developed. And so when he said, be transformed, one of the reasons we need to be transformed is because we will become salt. Notice he said, if the salt loses its saltiness, there's a danger of that. What will salt do? Me being honest, me having certain character will influence things. Me not doing certain things will start having an influence on those around me. And what it will do is will preserve a certain standard of life. And when I say me, you understand what I'm saying. I'm saying us or you or, you know... As we get transformed, ultimately we, we will do something to preserve things in the world. We should believe in the ability of the life of God in us that we can impact our jobs, our neighborhoods, our friends. And notice there are two areas. Preserve them, but that's not the highest thing. It is a real thing, but it's only a temporary thing. Only temporary while we're here doing that thing. The ideal thing is to win people to the Lord. Are you with me? To preserve the world, to change the world, we're not just called to be salt and light to preserve them. We're called to win them. Are you with me? And sometimes, now I believe you can live whatever way and still win people. But it gets a little trickier if you're around people for a while and they watch you and you're a believer. Uh, they look at things and kind of go, well, wait a minute. People are not dumb. Are you with me? Everybody okay? God loves us no matter what. But we want to be wise and grow. But we ultimately want to win people over to the Lord and get them to know Him. Because in the big picture, salt and light is great for some temporary stuff while we're here on the earth, but we want to take people with us. Are you with me? Is everybody okay? So he says this here. 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. This literally means whatever this transformation is, if I do what it takes, it will appear. It will begin to appear. My life will start to look like the will of God in action. Are you with me? And we need to realize we live in an atmosphere where we can do this and where there is the other side too. And this will pay off here and it will pay off there. One thing for sure is this, transformation doesn't happen overnight. If there's an area where you're stuck, ask the Lord. How can I move forward? How can I progress in this transformation of life? Because, see, transformation of life does not just affect the world, though it does. And it does affect the kingdom, but it actually affects you in a way, extremely wonderful way. Amen.